After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandra, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. When we came to the brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the church, and when they had gathered, uh, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and to speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. They said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you your views For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. This is God's Word, and let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your Word and for the option that is ours, the freedom to do so, but the divine appointment to once again hear the particulars of your gospel of grace. Lord, would you allow those words to sink deep into our heart or deeper if these things are believed. But Lord, we, we want to be faithful and we want you to be gracious. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Well, today is the 30th of April. The year is 2023. Uh, tomorrow's the first day of May. Uh, it's raining today. We're building an Olympic-sized swimming pool. <laughs> over uh, in the parking lot that's been an inconvenience. We hope to have it done on schedule. But on a calendar, today might look like any other Sunday. Uh, We've spent many Sundays here together. Many of you have spent 
perhaps most of the Sundays of your life in this place. And we hope we have many Sundays more. But the truth of it is, because of the way God has uh, designed our world and the time restrictions upon it, this is the only Sunday you'll ever get on the 30th of April of this year. This is the only sermon you'll ever hear on this Sunday. Uh, This is the only time you'll ever get dressed up like this to sit in those pews on this day. This is one of a kind. It's unique. And as my father used to say, there's no throwaway Sundays. They all echo in eternity, either to sing your praises as one of the hosts that worship God forever and ever, or to stand in condemnation of your rejection of such a gospel to where you'll spend the rest of eternity separated from his goodness forever and ever. Kind of brings the smack of finality to what would otherwise be just a normal day. And in a a, a ministry's uh, faithfulness, along with uh, pastors who do things like this, sometimes they do seem to arrive with amazing regularity and the the idea is okay what do we do different this week than we did last week or next week when we get to that but the truth is all of these are divine appointments and on a sunday like this when we get to the the very bottom almost of the the book of acts it's almost like i want to say what i hear so many times when i come home for lunch it doesn't happen often There's homeschool going on in our house. And I might hear as I crack open the door, please just pay attention. We're almost done. (laughs) Right? Livy's laughing. Ben's drawing. That's usually what he's doing while Corey's saying, please pay attention. We're almost done. Well, that's what we are. And two weeks ago, we had the adventure of a shipwreck. The week before that, we had what happened after the shipwreck for three months while these men are on the island of Malta. They stayed there about three months, half of November, all of uh, November or December, January, and part of February, best we can guess. And when the sea was once hospitable again, they got in a boat from Alexandra and began the rest of the trip toward Rome. They made three stops. We just read that. Syracuse. No, that's not the one in New York. Um, These are all in Italy. Uh, Two other names that are difficult to pronounce unless you're Italian. Uh, That's by sea. Once on land, um, they stay with some fellas for a week. And then they, at long last, make it to Rome. In my book, that's about as anticlimactic if if you're you're waiting on this final episode or so. Uh, some of its review, do y'all remember watching some of your shows? This would have been when you were kids. I don't get or understand many of the new ones now, but when I was a kid and there wasn't an internet and there wasn't a VCR or anything on demand, and certainly none of these DVDs where you can choose your own ending, now that, that just blows my mind. The dreaded to be continued, right? Because you had to check, what are we doing next week to make sure that we actually are here to see the rest of the story? This, though, kind of sounds like one of those throwaway uh, reruns right at the end when they run out of new stuff and all they do is show clips of people around a table remembering what happened. You remember that? This is no good. It's just the same old stuff we've seen. What we're going to look at is the same old stuff we've seen. Paul's going to do the same sermon the same way to the same type of people when he gets to Rome as he has in every other town he's been in. And 
the temptation is to say, there's nothing new here. We'll just wait and see if there's something new next week with the last two verses. There won't be. It's a recap too. But it's God's Word. It's inspired. It'll feed us whether we have expectations or not if we've got ears to hear and eyes to see. So we learn that Paul was allowed to stay by himself. That's house arrest. He wrote the prison epistles during this time. Uh, We can talk about those uh, another time. Uh, After three days, though, in verse 17, Paul calls for the local Jewish leaders after three days. I would think, how about three weeks or three months? Doesn't he deserve some time off? He's been shipwrecked for crying out loud. And then all the other things. I would think it'd be normal to say, Luke, Aristarchus, I don't care what you tell him. I'm not available. I'm going to go away and I'm going to sleep. That's not how he saw it. Three days later, probably over a weekend, gets down to business and calls the Jewish authorities, leaders, to meet him. And uh, it shouldn't surprise us that, that what he is doing is what he did everywhere. He starts with the Jews. Uh, If that was a synagogue, it was a synagogue. In this case, though, they have to come to him because, remember, he's under house arrest. He can't go anywhere, but they can come to him. And even in the Gentile capital of the world, Paul sticks true to his system. The gospel is the power of God and to salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So he's going to give the Jews the first shot as uh, Paul the evangelist hits the capital of the known world at the time. He wastes no time clearing the air among his people. There's a little uh, three-point disclaimer or emphasis as to uh, why he's there, the way he's there. First, he hadn't done anything against the Hebrews or their customs, though they, the Jews, had handed him over to the Romans. That's the first thing he says. I don't have anything against you. And I've never been charged of anything that stuck against the people or the customs. Um, though you disagreed, the Jews, they handed me over to the Romans. Secondly, he says the Romans had examined him, and they had, first with uh, Lysias, the centurion, and then with uh, Felix and Festus and Agrippa on his way to Rome. And they all had said, had said the same thing. We find nothing worthy of a death sentence. So they wanted to set him free. Then he appealed to Caesar, and that's what the third point is. It was only because the Jews objected to his release that he had appealed to Caesar. Because if he'd been released, he'd have been a dead man. They would have taken matters into their own hands. So he, out of preservation for his life, and, and if, if it was ever a way he could escape death, he would. He can keep preaching. But if there's no escape, then he's happy to die, if that's what it comes down to. But if he appeals to Caesar, then he doesn't have to face the Jews in the alleyway. And that's what had happened. So basically, he says, this is why I asked to see you, to tell you why I'm here and why I'm wearing these handcuffs. Ultimately, it boils down to the hope of Israel and how I see the end of it all shaking out. And that'd be Jesus is the Messiah. Their response is given in uh, verse 23. Um, Actually, before that, when they say, well, good grief, Paul, we, we didn't know of any problem. We didn't get any letters from Judea. Nobody coming from there has said anything about you. Now, this is where most of the scholars say, yeah, right. Really? That's the way you're going to play this? And it kind of makes sense if you put all the things we know together along with the dates. They're not in Jerusalem. They're in Rome. To have a synagogue in Rome is okay, but for a while it wasn't. 
And when that emperor died, then it was okay again. So they're watching their P's and Q's. They're walking a tighter rope in Rome than they would in Jerusalem. So there are certain things they may say that they'd want repeated or be okay if it's repeated and certain things they wouldn't say that they didn't want repeated. So they're acting as this dispute is uh, your thing. As, as far as a scandal or, or what we believe or what Rome decides to do with you, that's you and Rome's business. We haven't heard of any problems with you and Rome. But as far as what you think about this sect, yeah, we want to know all about that. We'll be back later. Because that's immediately what they say. As far as your views on this sect, Christianity, that they think is part of Judaism, yeah, yeah, we want to hear you about that. So it's kind of a little bit of, you know, cloak and dagger maybe here. But uh, we move on. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers and then here's, this is really all we, we get. There's not a lot more except for that point that he ends with. From morning till evening, expounded or explained to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets, which is not unlike what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. And they say, hey, what are you doing? You heard what happened? Yeah. Um, well, Jesus went and started with the prophets and explained everything concerning him. That's how you anchor the historic Jesus in the realm of uh, biblical understanding. We'll get to that in a minute. But here's his two-pronged argument here in his message. First, he explained the testimony of God's coming kingdom, all of what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. And then second, tried to convince them of Jesus from the Scriptures, again, the way Jesus did himself. So John Stott has a way of sometimes taking what could be otherwise abstract and in a line, just kind of putting it right out there as simplistically as possible. I envy the man for that. Wish that I could do that from time to time myself. But here's what he said. This is his line. Paul argued for the necessary identification of the historical Jesus with the biblical Christ. That's tying it all together. You've got the Bible, and it's all talking about this Messiah from all the way in the Old Testament, all the way through into the New Testament. The Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? Their Savior, who's going to save them. And then you've got this historical Jesus. The story goes he's born in a manger, but he died on a Roman cross. What Paul's ministry was all about is saying that that Jesus is this Messiah, or this Messiah is that Jesus. They're the same guy. He fulfills all those prophecies. That's how all this works, and that's how it makes sense. It's everything. And the, the resurrection is the litmus test to show that they match, because that's the one point where the prophecies foretold. He would live. All the kings are dead. They can't fulfill those prophecies. Now, there's a problem with this, and, and, and this is why there's the the trials and why the Jews want to hear about this sect instead of, you know, the real true religion. They don't believe it. What they're looking for is an earthly salvation. What they were looking for and what they were using as far as interpreting all those Old Testament texts, they were imposing their wishes on it and it was coming out warped, but 
but benefiting them in the way that they wanted to be benefited. They wanted Israel back the way they liked it, back when David was king or his son Solomon was on the throne, where they were in charge and everybody knew who they were. Now they're under Rome. They don't want to be under Rome. So naturally, when they hear of the Messiah, their thought for the perfect thing the Messiah can do for us is to get rid of Rome and to put us back where we need to be. That's what God wants. God wants us blessed. God wants us happy. God wants us powerful. Not unlike maybe what you hear out of some preaching today. God died on a cross to make your life better. No, God's Son died on a cross to save you from your sins against His Father. Now, if you pay attention to the prophecies, it's all about giving them a new heart of flesh in place of their heart of stone. The heart turned to stone when they sinned against God in the garden. The only reason why Jesus ever came is for their sin. And the only trouble they're ever in is because of their sin and the God who said, I will kill you if you sin. I gave you life. I'll take it away. Kind of sounds like what parents say sometimes. Brought you into this world. I can take you out. (laughs) That's true of God. It really is. And he really means it. But then he said, you know what? I'll do it differently. I'll take my son out of your world in your spot if you'll trust him to be your righteousness and I'll blot out your sins as though they never happened. That is the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about, but that's not the way the Jews see it at all. So when he's delivered his message and he's tied the historical Jesus to the biblical Messiah as a suffering servant, not as a conquering king, and shows them how all the prophecies fit that narrative and not the one that the Jews were looking for. Verse 24, the same thing we've seen every single time. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. What was the one statement? He resorted to what Isaiah had said long ago. Hey, your hearts are hard. Your ears are clogged. Your eyes are dim. You've got ears, you've got eyes, you've got a heart, but you're not believing any of these things. Therefore, I'm going to take this message of gospel, truth, and hope and take it to the Gentiles. Gave it to you first. You had first dibs. You're God's chosen people after all. But since he only died for you, no, he died for everyone, we're going to take the message to someone who will listen to it. That's when they got up. That's when they left. And... uh, That's the end of what we're going to look at today. Till next week, the last two verses, which is just the summary. So what do we do with all this? Can we ask ourselves the question, what's in this for me? That was then, this is now, what do we do with it? We've been hearing about Paul since chapter 9, and we've been hearing about him wanting to get to Rome since chapter 19. He is in Rome, and he's doing everything he'd always done since we saw him in verse 9, or chapter 9. But here's some things that I think we could apply not only to what we just read and looked at, but we could also say that it goes for the whole story of Paul. This this backs up to, you know, previous episodes. Having seen the pattern and, and, and spending months of our lives learning about this man and what he did. Here's one thing I think is true. There's two of them. Here's the first. Write it down. I'll say it at least twice so we can make sure we, we get it. God may use many ways to get us where he needs us to be. That's certainly true with Paul. He's all over the map. 
But there's only one way he saves our souls. One message. Never changed it. Would die for it. Can't be changed. Don't have the authority to change it. If you look at his life and all these thousands of miles over three missionary journeys with shipwrecks and trials and beatings and it all, you have to wonder if there's a way we could read the book of Acts without knowing how it ends, would any of us expected him to ever get to Rome? This isn't going to work. Those bad guys are too bad. They're too big. You're not going to escape. This movie isn't written by Disney. It's not going to end happy. And you can't just revamp all the bad movies making the bad guys victims either. You know, this is just so unlike anything we've ever seen before. Because along the way we see this God who this man preaches tell him in a dream, it's going to work out the way I planned. There are twists and turns. Now, he gets to Rome, but how many of you, if, if that was you, you had people praying for you, you had their prayer cards on their refrigerators, Got to get to Rome. Got to get to the field. He gets to the field, and he's under house arrest. How else do you get to speak to little Caesar? That was Nero. He's supposed to be short. Some people call him little Caesar. And we do believe that he actually spoke in front of the Caesar. How? Just rolling into town saying, I'm a big shot, Paul the Apostle. I want to talk to little Caesar. No. You go in chains. Basically a prisoner, a political prisoner. A big deal for them, but not a big deal as he's concerned for himself. God knew exactly how to get Paul in front of the Caesar. And it was not anything Paul would have asked for himself. In fact, it was excruciatingly hard and painful and difficult and lonely and discouraging. And God had to lift him up out of his hole every now and then. So God has many ways to get us where we need to be, but there's only one way he saves our souls. The reason why it's put that way, and why I heard it this way, I thought, i got to use it. I can't think of anything better. Because we like to get those backwards, don't we? How many of us fixate over the simple things in our life that we think God only has one plan for? And if we don't find the one plan, our whole lives are ruined. I don't know of any more miserable time in a person's life than somewhere in adolescence between high school and college when you've got to pick out a mate and you're a Christian you're not a Christian, you just find one you like, you get married. If you're a Christian, they have to be God's perfect choice for you. There's billions of people on the planet. Cut them in half because you need one the opposite. That's the plan. One man for one woman for one lifetime. Then they got to be the certain age, but you're still talking about millions of people. How do I find the right one? Do I pray, 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 pray? Will, will he write her name on the clouds? Will it be a vision? You can absolutely suffer yourself away into despair trying to figure out, I know God has his perfect will, but he won't tell me what it is. And I doubt everything. So how in the world am I going to accidentally find it? And then some wisdom comes from you know, older folks or people the, the level of John Piper who just res, reduce it to something simplistic like, you want to know who you're supposed to marry? You'll know when you see their name on the marriage certificate. That's my wife, and it'll always be my wife. John Piper can get away with stuff like that. But as it was told to me, I tell other folks, you need to at least enjoy one another's company. To spend the rest of your life together when you don't enjoy one another's company is going to be bad. 
You need to like each other. And it's even better if you love each other. Then they need to be a Christian because to be, that's the, the true measure of unequally yoked. It doesn't matter what you look like or where you came from. But if you believe that Jesus was who he said he was and the other doesn't, that, that's a big difference. And then third, when all the people that are most important to you can agree that you bring the best out in each other, you're better together. Then get married and have some kids because in Genesis, that's what you're supposed to do. Be fruitful and multiply. And the quicker you have kids, the quicker you won't be as stupid as you are without a dependent. You'll quit thinking that the world revolves around you. And then you'll have to spend the rest of your life not convincing the kid that the world revolves around them. Right? But it's not rocket science. It's all right here in this book. And that's what makes the marriage work. Instead of just saying, well, I got the better ideas of the two of us, so that's how we'll live this life. Whoa. That's not going to work very good. But if you can agree that this is what gives your relationship shape, this is what untangles your problems. This is what gives you hope. And this is what tells you that there's more than just the two of you going on for the rest of your lives. There's eternity after that. Then you'll be fine. If you have maturity and you know what this book means. If that's the case, it could be any of those millions of options. Because you're in God's will. I know that sounds crazy. Hey, if you're in God's will and you're being obedient, do what you want to do. But that's kind of it. But then we go to college. We start listening to all these people say all these things, and we start listening, and we start wondering, is the thing that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man cometh to the Father but by me, the most narrow-minded, bigoted statement in all of human literature? Yes, it is. Is that really real? What if you're sincere as anything else? No, that's not how you get to heaven. I don't know about that. I I just think maybe if, you know, they're honest and they never heard about Jesus, how's God going to send them to hell? These are not small questions. But the clear reading of the Bible tells us there's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus. So we want mercy on that and give people space to, you know, get to heaven however they want. And then we beat ourselves up for not having found you know, the right this, that, or the other. Like God's really big on the details, but he's, he's not that big on the biggest thing that will ever matter to your life. And that's whether or not you're going to spend eternity in heaven. So God has many ways to get us where we need to be. You're right here this morning, aren't you? Right? And there's only one way to heaven. So, even though we worry a lot about day-to-day... And we defer, defer, defer about what will happen when we're dead. That goes into the same idea. Add this to that first one. Of the many ways God can use to get you where you need to be to hear his one message to save your soul, consider all of those ways his divine appointment. Why would I say that? Well, if you look back in verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, That was the Jews' decision to go listen to Paul talk about that sect of Judaism. Now, I know they didn't mean appointed by heaven's calendar, but isn't that kind of the way it works? 
I mean, this is a Sunday like any other Sunday, but from our perspective, but from heaven's perspective, it's all been appointed. And since the foundation of the world, it was appointed 87 years ago that Jack Law would be born into this world in September. And it was appointed yesterday that he should leave this world and see the face of his Lord. Now, we would look at it and we say, well, I don't know. Um, I hope I've got tomorrow. It's been a good run so far. But we look at things as normal. In heaven, it's all written down. They appointed a day. And you almost want to uh, uh, you know, remember or try to imagine. You got Paul. He's chained to this guard. And that's a cool thing in and of itself. You hear a lot about that in the prison epistles. He's stuck by a chain to another dude 24-7. If anybody wants to know whether or not Paul's a fake, when you get to heaven, ask one of those guards. I mean, they know down to his personal grooming schedule. When he brushed his teeth, combed his hair, all that stuff. When I was a kid, I thought, did they like put the chain under the door when they shut the bathroom? Or do they go in there together? How long is the chain? Can you get far enough that you don't kick each other in bed? I mean, these are things little kids in Sunday school think about. But do you suppose Paul said, I got to get to bed early tonight. Tomorrow's a big day. What's going on tomorrow? We got a bunch of people coming over. Who? Jews. What for? I'm going to explain to them how the historical Jesus is the biblical Messiah. Really? Yeah. What difference does that make? Everything. There will be people there tomorrow. And you, my friend, will be the only... Gentile. But they're going to hear the answer to life's most important question. What must I do to be saved? Some of them will believe it and some of them will reject it. At least that's how it's worked every other time I've ever done this. With Paul, I'm sure it's an appointed time and an appointed place for an appointed message to appointed people to make a decision that will change the rest of their lives. What looks routine from our perspective is appointed in heaven. There's no doubt about it. So, again, Paul explained biblical Messiah, historical Jesus, this Jesus, that Messiah. He wasn't selling anything. He's just explaining it to them. That's the word used there. Not promising them anything. God's promising, not Paul. He's just relaying the message. He isn't coaching them, motivating them, or entertaining them. He's not just delivering information either. He's making an appeal, a call for a response. Be reconciled to God. This is how it works. The weight of the thing that he's talking about is the leverage against the hearer's soul. Either they look at it as nothing or they look at it as everything. But it's not Paul's. He never starts with his own experience. Hey, I was a wreck. Now I'm put together. You know you envy me. I'll show you how I did it. That's, that's not it at all. It's boring stuff. It's history. It's details. It's eyewitness accounts that he lays out for them like an attorney would lay out a case for a jury to decide whether or not they can access the truth. That's what the court case is always looking for. What is true and what is false? That's what he's doing. And I don't think he cares what they think of him. He couldn't. Because if he did, he wouldn't say what he said, especially the last part about how your ears are stopped up and your eyes are dim. 
And that's just the way it goes. In his mind, he's irrelevant. He's just a messenger. And any pastor, preacher, teacher of the Bible that understands the book he presumes to teach knows the same. And sometimes it's a lonely existence. Sometimes it's a vexing existence. Uh, The routine of it can become a grind. Uh, Some of the expressions I've heard, others have heard about it, you know, the... um, Dad would just say, Sunday's come along with amazing regularity. Ready or not, here it comes. Others have called church the greatest show on earth. Uh, you're supposed to laugh at that. Um, others have described preaching as dying naked slowly over the course of your, your, your ministry. Because it's, it's incredibly, has to be transparent. I mean, you can't stand up and say eternal things and then live like an idiot even though you are. Because people won't let you have a pass with that. Or it's like delivering a baby. That's the message. And then Monday morning, finding out you're pregnant again. You got to deliver another baby. I think this is what Paul would describe it as. But it's tough. Because so many of the things that came to him as problems had nothing to do with the scriptures. It had to do with everything else. And that's the same in ministry as well. But the result is the same. It's always the same. It's the same today, and it'll be the same when we walk out of here. There's no neutrality when the gospel is faithfully explained. Nobody can say, well, I'm kind of neutral on that Jesus thing. No, by virtue of what he said and what it means by the words that he used when he said it, either he is who he said he was, he's God's son who paid for the sins of the world. If you trust him by faith, you can see his father in heaven Or he's just made it all up. It's a lie. But it can't be one or the other. It has to be one or the other. It can't be somewhere in between. You either believe it or you don't. And there's plenty of people that know all this stuff and could probably preach the gospel, though they themselves don't believe it. That doesn't count for them. They they know the facts of it. Church pews are full of people that know a lot about the Bible. But coming right down to the fact that believing this guy historically walked around on this planet, really did die, really rose from the dead, and I can really go to heaven if I really believe it. That just, mm, it's a little too far for me. The men came united. They wanted to hear what he had to say, and they left divided. Some believed and some didn't. Let me wrap this up. I heard someone say the other day, they were middle-aged, and I I can't remember who they were. It it wasn't someone I was listening to in person. It was something on on the television, I think. I can't remember, and this is awful when I can't remember, and I'm fixing to say something somebody said because somebody might remember what the person said, and the person might have said other things that were horrible. And then they say, well, I quoted somebody who says horrible things. Here's what it was. He said, I only have about 30 summers left. And I didn't like hearing that when I heard it because I know I'm 30 years younger than my daddy who left this world in January. He was 74. I'm 44. And if I leave when he left, I got 30 summers left too. 30 years is different. 30 summers sounds like, oh, man, I remember every summer of my life. I could tell you what I did in summer this year, summer. Because summer's when you get out of school and summer's when you go on vacation and summer's when you go outside and play. 30, that's all. Maybe it's just 29 because, you know, maybe it's 35. How many sermons that actually explain 
the mechanics of the gospel that can save your soul, will you hear before time's up? I don't know. It's appointed. I'm sure of that. Could be today. This could be the last one. Some people don't like thinking like that. Some people just rather, ah, ignorance is bliss. I'll take whatever color that pill was on the matrix and I'm fine. Others have to know. I hope this isn't the last one. But I'd be a fool to think or to assume that maybe this is the last for someone. And based on your decision, this could mean the difference in one of two places you'll spend the rest of your life. I had a job in uh, high school working in Sears Department Store. There aren't as many of those left as used to be. This was in the Danville Mall, and they'd redone the end of it. It was nice. I think I mentioned it one time before, but you sit in a dark room with a bunch of cameras and watch people and make sure they don't steal stuff. That's loss prevention. Nice word for don't shoplift or I'll show you my badge. We didn't have weapons. All we have is a badge. And a guy that looked like me at that point in my life, stopping someone at a door, showing him a badge that says Sears loss prevention and saying, I think you need to come with me. <laughs> Most of them just looked at me, laughed, and walked out the door. Some of them would stop. We'd go to the office. They'd empty their pockets. If it was more than 200 bucks worth of stuff, it was a felony if convicted. And we had it all on tape. But there was this guy that I worked with. He was a police officer. He did this on his days off. He's older than me. He's got a, a gun and a real badge. But because everybody in there knew that I was a pastor's son, sometimes discussions would come up. And I remember one night listening to this guy as... As, as honest and serious as a heart attack say, well, there's no hope for me of that. I've sent away my day of grace. And I kind of stopped and just looked at him. I said, well, explain that. He said, that's when you listen to the gospel so long that it doesn't feel like anything anymore. And I could sit in there with the best of them, and it's just BBs off a battleship. I, I lost it. I, I'm done. And the best thing for me to do is just have all the fun I want to because when this is over, I'm going to pay for it all for eternity. I'm going straight to hell. And I said, uh, what, what Bible are you reading? He said, the same one you do. I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's not it yet. I mean, Jesus spent his whole life and all the New Testament, all these apostles are saying, all you got to do is repent of your sins trust him by faith and it's done it's not complicated he said sorry I just don't believe it that way so what do I do I go talk to dad I said dad what do I do with this guy I mean I've never felt so cold around a guy I wouldn't want to be in his shoes anybody and he said you tell him this there's a lot of people that talk about that and I could show you the references where they get to something of that sort but you tell him who does he think he is? God's grace is his business, same as the cross he died on. And since your sins are against him, he's the one who decides when they're forgiven. And if you've sinned away of your, your day of grace, so be it. But that's for him to decide. He's the one you've offended. And as my Bible says, now is the day of salvation. Make up your mind, repent right now. And you've got nothing to worry about. I said, okay, Pop, I'll try to use that voice you use and that <laughs> confidence you have. But uh, 
that's the truth. And I told him. He said, I wish it were that way. But my heart just is dead when I hear these things. I said, tell it to wake up. You go to church every Sunday and you pray through the whole service, Lord, speak to me. Lord, I don't want to die and spend my life in hell. I want to go to heaven. You're the one that came to make it possible. I said, just ask him, you dummy. Don't miss it because you've put God in a box that he didn't put himself in. Tied his hands. If you're just going to say it's all bunk, then just say it's all fake. But don't say that it's true, but that it doesn't apply to you because you've sinned too much. I don't know where he is, but I believe that that was an appointed time. And I sure hope there's been many more appointed times for that fellow. Hebrews 3.15 says this. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's all I know to say. Been in so many churches with so many invitations. Hey, come down the aisle. But I grew up with a whole slew of kids who thought because they walked an aisle, that's why they're saved. And they didn't understand the gospel. They never sit down to listen to long enough. They just thought that, hey, I was supposed to walk an aisle, so I walked an aisle. Walking an aisle ain't going to do you any good. Do you believe that Jesus, historically, was the Bible's promised Messiah, that he died in your place to save you from your sins, that you sinned against his Father, that he promised would send you to hell forever if he didn't take care of it for you? You believe that? You're in. If you don't, you're out. I don't know how else to put it. I hope you'll decide. And if you do, let us know. Maybe we can weep. Maybe we can throw a party. Somebody needs to weep and somebody needs to throw a party. Baptism waters aren't stirred near enough. We'll stir them next week. You're going to hear from some people a confession, not a testimony. of This is how God worked all these things to get me to where I needed to hear the message. No, a confession is, this is the message that I heard and believe. Jesus died for me. And I'm as sure for heaven as the nose on my face, not because of my righteousness, but because he paid it for me. That's a confession. That says this book is true. At the end of the day, not too many people care how you got from point A to point B. If B can get them to heaven too, just tell me about B. And then we can talk about getting from A to B. Right? I think that's enough. We should pray. Father in heaven, thank you for a Sunday. On April the 30th, 2023, thank you for the gospel that is as real today as it was when Paul told a bunch of Jews in his house chained to a Roman guard. Lord, we know that some will believe and some won't, but Lord, we keep praying. Lord, we ask that you help mamas to keep praying, grandmas to keep praying, fathers to keep praying, spouses to keep praying. Lord, that you would open eyes, open ears, soften hearts. And that you would be pleased to bring someone home. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for the hope we have. We thank you for the truth that will make a funeral. Not only a time of tears, but a time of rejoicing. And we ask all this in the precious name of the one who died in our place, Jesus Christ, amen.